Well, it's only once every few years that this feast day falls on a Sunday. It's one of the most important feasts in this cycle, this time of year, and it often gets overlooked because it happens during the week. But when it happens on a Sunday, it takes precedence over what would normally be done. It is called, uh, in ecclesiastical terms, a double of the first class. So there. But this normally would have been the fourth Sunday of the Epiphany, and we do honor that uh, Sunday. At the end of the prayers of the people, you will hear the collect that would have been the collect of the day for the fourth Sunday of uh, Epiphany. But today is the feast of the presentation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the temple and the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, oftentimes also called Candlemas. And so on this Candlemas Day, we have every single candle in the church lit, and you were given candles to hold at the beginning. And we mark this day with a special Candlemas procession in which the choir began by singing the Song of Simeon that I just read to you again in the account of the Gospel from Luke. And this is very clearly a Lucan gospel. We've been hearing from Matthew a lot. Matthew is, was a, a simpler sort of writer than Luke. Uh, Luke had this very painterly way about him. And we love his stories because we always hear his, his account of, of the nativity from Luke 2, uh, the beginning of Luke 2. And here later in that same uh, chapter of Luke, we hear the story of the presentation with equal flourish and drama. Now, last night we had uh, Evensong here in the church at five o'clock, which we were having uh, each Saturday night during the winter months, and we meet here at the side altar, and we observed the vigil of the presentation. And so in that vigil, we heard a different story from the Old Testament, and that was the story of Hannah and her son, who was born, and Hannah prayed and prayed that she would have a child. She had so far in her life not had a child, and at a late age was given a son, Samuel. And she was so grateful to God for giving her this son that she decided to dedicate his life to the service of God. And so as soon as he was weaned, she took him to the temple. And along with him, she took a sacrifice of a young bull a wineskin full of wine, and several large sacks of flour. And she presented these sacrifices, and they were dealt with appropriately, but she also presented her son to Eli the priest. And he remained in the temple the rest of his life, serving Eli and God, and eventually himself becoming a great high priest. Naturally, this story mirrors the story of the presentation of Jesus Christ in the temple. Now, I like that Luke points out that they were just doing what was customary. This was nothing out of the ordinary or special to Jesus. It was something that any young family who had just been uh, given a young son would have done. And also, Mary was going for the uh, rites of purification that any woman would have undertaken after having a child in which she would be uh, purified and sort of re-enter society. There is a vestige of that left in the prayer book, um, and it is, uh, to, it's, the old name for it was the Churching of Women. Now it's sort of in, an, in a different guise, 
uh, and you can find it in the prayer book under the thanksgiving for the birth of a child. And far from uh, purifying the woman after having a baby, it is more of a thanksgiving, as the title implies, and a, and a, re, a prayer for blessing on the child and a thanksgiving that the mother made it safely uh, to deliver the child. And so that vestige that we still have goes all the way back to this time. And so we have Mary and Joseph coming to the temple, expecting probably just uh, to go through the ceremony and then go about their way. Because they were people uh, not of great earthly means, they brought two turtle doves. They couldn't bring a bull or uh, skins full of wine, but they brought what they could. And they presented the sacrifice of the turtle doves, and they brought the young Jesus. And now Simeon, who was a righteous man who lived in Jerusalem, was led by the Holy Spirit and proclaimed Jesus in the temple to be the one, the Lord's Messiah. And this is very important. Remember the story of uh, Samuel and how he was presented in the temple and how he became a high priest. Well, in this instance, through Simeon's proclamation, and later Anna's as well. Jesus is acknowledged by his own people to be the Messiah, the one who is to come, the anointed, who will lead God's people into a new covenant, who will lead God's people into righteousness. Now, again, we hear back in our uh, in our. Uh, Old Testament reading today from Malachi, a similar foretelling that I will send my messenger to, to prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly appear in his temple. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So those descendants of Levi, that tribe of Levi, that is a, an entire tribe that is of a priestly class. And so Malachi is foretelling, we believe, the coming of Jesus, the great high priest, who will purify that line of priests and will make a priesthood of all believers so that all the gifts that we bring to God will be righteous, all the gifts will be pleasing, as in the days of old and as in former years. And so you see with the coming of Jesus this idea of a refreshing of creation, a making things right, a setting, thing, a setting of uh, humanity back on track. In the prayer book, in one of our uh, Eucharistic rites, we say, again and again, you called us into covenant, and again and again, we turned away from your promises. And so finally, at the right time, in the exact right place, to the exact right people, God decided to send his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so on this uh, day of the presentation, the purification, Candlemas, we bring to a close a series of festivals of light that all take place this time of year. Of course, the first is the Feast of 
Christmas itself, in which the light of the world is born. Jesus it becomes incarnate. He becomes one of us. And then the second feast of light is the Epiphany, when guided by the light of a star, three people from outside of God's ancient chosen were drawn to Jesus and worshipped him. And then on this final feast of light, Jesus is proclaimed in the temple by his own people to be the Messiah, the one who is to come. And his parents marveled at this, and perhaps they didn't have much of an idea what was going on. Of course, they knew something was happening because from the very beginning, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel and invited to play a pivotal, essential role in God's plan for salvation. Joseph was also visited by an angel in a dream and told that even though Mary was with child to go ahead and marry her. And the wise men came and they were warned in a dream to go leave another way so that the child would not be harmed by Herod. And the the, uh, shepherds who saw the angels and came to worship, obviously something was different about this child. But even then, Mary brings him to the temple in her arms, holding him gently, and is shocked as this elderly man and an elderly woman who've seen a lot, who've lived a lot, come and proclaim him as the Messiah. But not just that. Simeon says to Mary, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and will and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many may be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. How ominous that must have sounded to her on this day that probably was a, would, be, would have been considered a joyous day. So it is joyous, but it's mixed with this foreshadowing of the gravity of just what's going to happen because Jesus came into the world. And I don't know if you've ever seen uh, an image of Our Lady of Sorrows. You know, Mary is known by lots of different names, um, but there's sometimes you'll see a picture of her sort of clutching her heart with five swords going through her heart, and those represent the five wounds of Jesus and the uh, the, uh, the coming to pass of this prophecy by Simeon. And so we see in Mary and in Joseph and in the baby Jesus at this time in the temple an opening up, a changing, a beginning anew. This new covenant is starting. And Mary and Joseph are going to have a hard road ahead of them because of the suffering that Jesus will endure. And yet, of course, we don't know too much about how uh, Joseph's life came to an end, but we know that his mother Mary, Jesus' mother Mary, was with him even to the end, to the foot of the cross with St. John. And so she experienced this life of his. And in her, we can sort of see ourselves as disciples and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. How, yes, it is a source of great joy to be a Christian, but it's also a responsibility, and there are also sorrows that come along with it. 
sorrows when we see our brothers and sisters, when we see the face of Christ on the street, shivering in the cold, homeless, hungry, or addicted to drugs. Joyous when we see the face of Christ beaming in a a child's face as he or she is baptized, or in a young couple as they are married here in church. And so all of this humanity is taken up by Jesus, and it's sanctified. And so as we go forth in our lives with this light of Christ that is grafted into us, we have the strength, we have the tools to face the joys, to celebrate the joys, to face the sorrows, and to always keep our eyes on his cross, because we know it is that cross that is the gateway to eternal life. It is that tree that is our family tree. And so we give thanks and rejoice on this day, this feast of the presentation, when the covenant, the new covenant of Jesus Christ began. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.